Well, good morning again and welcome. I say it every week and I mean it every week. We are so grateful that we get to gather together as God's people to worship, to hear from his word, to meet together as his family. And so again this morning we are. I'm thankful, thankful that you could be here if you're new. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us and we're happy to, to get to know you and to get you connected and to, to care for you. Uh, right now, we're in the midst of a season that we call Advent. Uh, historically, the church um, has anticipated Christmas with, by dedicating several Sundays, turning our attention to the coming of Christ. And as of today, as of this morning, we are, we are two weeks away from Christmas, two weeks from today. Can you believe that? Are you ready to roll? You're all ready to go? I mean, it is, it is a crazy, hectic season of us, all of us, running around, and before you know it, it will be here, and before you know it, it will be over. I mean, it, it ends so quickly. And so what we do as a church, what we're doing as a church is saying we want to turn our hearts and our minds to a season and to a truth that doesn't end so quickly. Right, Christmas, those, those trees die so fast. Needles everywhere, on your dog and on your socks and in your presents. I mean, we put the decorations up. It doesn't take long for us to put the decorations up. Soon as Christmas is over. Now, I don't know if that's how you do it, but we're ready to pack it up and to move on. And so what Advent is saying is, is that we are going to refocus our minds and hearts on a season that does not go away, that doesn't, that doesn't leave so quickly, that the coming that we're anticipating and that we're really celebrating is the birth of a baby. Jesus has come, and God is here now. He has come now with the gift of his Holy Spirit, and he's coming again, and we anticipate that day, and we wait for that day. And so that's why we gather together, young and old, you may be stressed, you may feel completely overwhelmed, you may feel completely encouraged, but all of us together, worshiping and remembering why we celebrate Advent. And so this month, we've been looking at Christmas carols, searching for the gospel, the message of his truth in these songs that we love and we sing year after year, because we don't want to just mindlessly sing them. You know, I saw a group singing a carol this week that I was pretty confident had no experience, personal experience with the song. Their words that they were singing, but the truth of the song was not a part of their heart and their life. And as a church, we don't want that to be us. We don't want to love these songs just for the nostalgia of the song, but we want to love them because we've experienced the song that we've stepped into and come face to face with the truth that these carols proclaim. And so we want to do a little bit of work to say, what are these songs saying? And how might we better understand them so that we can sing with them and not just the words that we say? And so last week, if you were here, we talked about the song, Oh Holy Night. 
And I said, jokingly, it's the most difficult song to sing because of that one painful, infamous high note at the end that we sometimes don't even try to sing. Well, this week, as I'm looking at our carol this week, this carol is also a pretty difficult song to sing, not because of the high note at the end, but because of the refrain in the song has one word, one Latin word for that, case, for that matter, that you sing that feels like you're singing this one word for, for minutes. It's the word gloria. Maybe you know the song, uh, Angels We Have Heard on High. And so I was looking into this word gloria. It's not just singing one word for, for that long. Um, it's the way that you sing this one word that is kind of difficult. And there's a musical term for this word, the way that you sing the word Gloria. It's called a melisma. 16 different notes, one word, one breath. It makes me want to pass out when I sing the word. But we were just at, uh, for King and Country, the Christmas concert at the Giant Center last weekend. And of course, you know, I'm mindful of all these songs that I, that I know I'm going to be teaching on. And they sang, they have this song that they sing, and they start the, their version of the song with the Latin word, Gloria. And so I was intrigued at how they did it. They sang that word. For, I, I pulled out my phone. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm timing how long they can sing the word. 16 seconds they sung this word. But it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful word. It, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful lyrics, and it's very interesting how different it is from the song last week. Last week, part of the intrigue of Oh Holy Night is all the drama behind the writing of the song, the poet who walked away from the church, the composer who was Jewish, the Catholic church that said, you can't sing this song anymore. Yet the church continued to sing it. Well, Angels We Have Heard on High has no noteworthy or dramatic elements to the story of the song. There's nothing controversial about it. Instead, it was anonymously written. It's a basic melody that we think was used well before the writing of the song. It was first found in the 1800s in a French songbook. Angels in Our Countryside was the name of it. It was translated in the 1860s by James Chadwick, paraphrased, kind of changed a little bit, and it becomes Angels We Have Heard on High. That's pretty much all there is to the song. And so why has this song stuck? Why do we love this song so much? It's not the history. The lyrics pretty much tell the story. The story of Luke's gospel, chapter 2. And you, you have to think, this is why we love this song. It is pretty much a word-for-word -word retelling of the second chapter of Luke's gospel. It is a story of the shepherds. It's called the shepherd's song. This was a song written from the perspective of those unassuming, unsuspecting shepherds that so many years ago. And so the song comes from what they might have been thinking and what they might have been feeling. And so this morning, we want to see this beautiful message. We want to sing this beautiful song. And so to do that, I'm going to read our four verses of the song, and then we'll read right from the biblical story, Luke 2, 8 through 20. 
Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing over the plains, and the mountains in reply echoing their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? Come to Bethlehem and see. Him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn King. See him in a manger laid, whom the choirs of angels praise. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid, while our hearts in love we raise. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Verse 8, Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angels multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come before you now and we pray. We pray, God, that you would teach us Teach us about joy. Teach us about praise and teach us about glory. Teach us about these shepherds that we would be so overwhelmed with your glory as they were. And so God, we pray that as we study this text and we study this story, we look at this song, God, that you would open our hearts to see that we confess that we are distracted and tired and discouraged, or whatever it may be. God, we know that your spirit, through your word, can teach and encourage and exhort and comfort us and lead us today. And so that we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so like I've said, the song and the story in Luke 2, I mean, it is pretty accurate. I mean, they're, they're pretty closely aligned. There's not much to the song. They have borrowed the material, almost word for word, from the biblical story of Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are singing. They are glorifying and praising God. This is what the song, this is what they're doing. They are singing out loud. People are looking at them saying, why, why are you doing this? We know, according to the biblical text, 
that they were glorifying and praising God. It's verse 20, the last verse I just read, as as the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. I mean, they are singing. I mean, could it have been a song similar to this? We don't know what they were singing, but we know they were praising God. And the people around them are wondering. The song tells us in the second verse, people start to ask them questions. Three questions in the second verse of the song. Why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? And the biblical story tells us, it does tell us that the people around them were wondering. That's verse 18. All who heard it, that is the shepherds and what they were, they were saying, they wondered at what they were told them. What do you do when you wonder? You ask questions. Could these have been the questions that the people around them were asking? We, we're not sure. But it's the questions of the song, really, which is essentially just one question. Shepherds, why are you so joyfully singing? Why are you going home praising and glorifying God? What, why are you so excited And this is the question that I want to consider as we look at the shepherds and we look at Luke chapter 2. Why were they so joyfully singing? And to do that, three points. He's come to the lowly. He's been announced from on high. And he is here now. So the lowly from on high and he is here now. So why this jubilee? I think the shepherds would have first said, the first thing that they would have said, and I think we can prove it or show you in the text how this is true, they would have said, why are we joyfully singing? He has come to us, the shepherds, the lowly. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of shepherds. You probably, you you might, I, I think generally we have a positive image in our minds of when we think of shepherds. Maybe it's a little uh, adorable, precious moments figurine that you think of. Maybe it's a picture of Jesus holding a sheep in Psalm 23. I mean, generally, today, we have a positive view of what we think of when we hear the word shepherd. But in this culture, in this century, in reality, you couldn't go much lower than a shepherd. I mean, they were completely despised. Philo, this quote, blew me away. He says, there is mo- no more disreputable occupation than a shepherd. They cannot be trusted. They are brute, thieving, deplorable men who prefer the company of animals and other men than they do community life. I mean, how's that for a reference letter? The shepherds were not liked. They could not hold public office. They could not go to the temple to worship. They could not give a testimony testimony in the court of law. I mean, they they could hardly do anything because they were so distrusted. Jewish people wouldn't even buy from them. They were convinced that if they buy wool or milk or whatever from from these shepherds, they assumed that the stuff that they were buying was stolen. And so, on some levels, as I was kind of thinking, kind of searching through why was this the case, well, I found on some level that this was fair. Many shepherds were like this. They would take their sheep, the owner's sheep, 
far away from their owner's land so that they could find grass to graze. When the sheep had, had babies, more sheep, they would take the, the, the owner would not have any idea. They would take the sheep, they'd claim them for their, for their own, and they would sell and keep all the proceeds for themselves. And so in some respect, you kind of start to understand why the shepherds were so disliked. But what the Jewish people were doing was they were boycotting them. Boycotting shepherds, saying we, we will not buy from them and we will not pay them with money. We will pay them with sheep. And so now the shepherds have no money. They're stuck with a bunch of sheep. And this, this, is, this is the disposition of the shepherd. The shepherd was at the bottom. At the bottom, without a home, without many friends, without money, without reputation, dirty, and they smell bad. Probably. So why this jubilee? Why this joyous strain prolonged? Well, the shepherds are saying, God has come to me, to us. The song, angels, we have heard on high. Who is the we? That is the shepherds. The biblical text seems to make an emphasis that this, this is important. It's not just the message not just the message of what's about to happen, it's whom the message was given to that is a significant detail of the text over and over in chapter 2. The object of who's received the message is emphasized. An angel appeared to them in verse 9. Verse 10, an angel said to them, verse 11, for unto you, you shepherds, no one else, you are the first to hear. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you, shepherds. Verse 15, the Lord has made known to us, the shepherds. Verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told to them. We have been told this message. Why in all of heaven and on earth would God choose to tell us, shepherds, hated, lowly shepherds, this most important announcement? Why would he do it? Well, because this is what God does. That this wasn't just happenstance. This wasn't just an anomaly. It just happened this way. But no, this was the beginning of what we know and what we see in the Gospels of a pattern of what God is going to do. God comes to the lowly. He comes to you in your lowness. He comes to you in your, in your mourning and in, your, in being despised. And so this is just the beginning of a pattern that we see all through Scripture. He starts, he starts this way, and he's going to continue this way all the way to his death. I mean, can you just imagine the life of what it would have been like to be a leper? I mean, you, you can never touch anyone. Now, some of you, that might sound nice, but for most people, I mean, that, that's not a pleasant way to think about how life was going to be, but this was the reality for the leper. You could literally touch nobody. Ostracized from your family, this is a social disease. It's not just a physical one. And what would happen is you, you weren't allowed to live in your community. 
You couldn't interact with people. And so they were protecting the people from spreading this disease. And so you were by yourself. You couldn't even provide for your family because you couldn't get around them to give them whatever you could make on the side of the road. And so everything you did, you were a beggar on the outside, isolated and excluded. And this this was the life of the leper. This is the life of the leper in Matthew chapter 8. You talk about lowliness. Talk about humility. Matthew 8, the leper. Here's, look at what, and look what Jesus does to him with, in Matthew chapter 8. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And immediately, and Jesus, verse 3, and he, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I mean, what a story. Jesus touches him. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to heal him. He could have just spoken those words, but that's not what Jesus does. He looks at him, he sees him, and he touches him. Jesus loved the lowly. And all through the Gospels, we see this kind of story. I could tell you the same kind of story with the tax collector and the prostitute and the disabled and the criminal and the adulterer and the religious person. Jesus came for the too little. He came for the too scared, the not enoughs, the not pretty enough, not strong enough, not wealthy enough, not religious enough. This is who Jesus came for. And it starts with the shepherds. Jesus is, God in his great plan is going to start this whole story of coming to those who are not enough. And it starts with these unassuming shepherds who just didn't see it coming. And so what does he do all through scripture when he comes? He takes the too little and he takes the lowly and he flips it on its head. And he exalts them, and he transforms them, and he uses them. This is the gladsome tidings that would have inspired the shepherds to sing and praise and glorify God all the way home. Why are we singing? Verse 2, why are we joyfully singing this song? God has come to us, lowly, undeserving shepherds. And for that reason we will joyfully proclaim and sing. But it wasn't just that that would have caused them to joyfully sing. It's second, he was, Jesus was also announced from on high. The announcement itself would have caused the shepherds to want to joyfully sing. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've been to a, a basketball game or a concert where it was a big enough venue or a big enough occasion that the person that was about to perform or play was announced by somebody else. Uh, I told you a couple weeks ago that Truman and I went down to the Philadelphia 76ers game, and we were not cheering in particular for the 76ers. Truman likes the Milwaukee Bucks, but when when the Philadelphia, and we were way up in the, way up in the upper deck, and when and when the Philadelphia 76ers were being announced, their coach and their players and the people on their bench, Truman and I found ourselves cheering for the 76ers just because of the nature of the announcement, the music, the voice 
of the person announcing this deep voice that just wanted, caused us to want to, to, to cheer with him. And then there was fire. I have some ideas for our Advent lighting. <laughs> These big, big, I don't even know what you call them, cans of fire. Every time they announced a player, this big shoot of fire would shoot up and we could feel the fire. It could not be safe. There's nothing safe. We are a long ways away and every announcement, these two cans of fire shot up and we felt the fire. I mean, it was quite the introduction. And listen, it pales into comparison, this introduction the shepherds would have gotten. I mean, the angels, God could have done it a thousand other ways. A thousand other ways. Easier ways, simpler ways, but that's not what God did. God wanted the announcement itself to cause the ones who were receiving the announcement to joyfully proclaim what they had seen. And this is what the song is. This is their, 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 that's the first verse. Angels that we have heard on high. The shepherds are saying, we are singing because we have just seen something so spectacular. Angels. Not just one, it starts as one, but it quickly becomes a multitude. And so it made me think a little bit, what's so spectacular about this announcement to those shepherds that night? And we don't talk much about angels. You know, we were having dinner, I was having dinner with the family the other day, and, and one, of our, one of our sons started asking all these questions about angels, and I'm I don't know the answers to your questions about angels, what they do and what they're like and draw a picture. I'm, I don't know, son. I'm not exactly sure, but it reminded me as I was reading this story, thinking of my son's questions. I took a whole class on angels in seminary. It was a fascinating class. So I pulled out my notes this week on angels, and I started reading about angels. And it really is magnificent to think about. Angels are spirits. They were created spirits, so they don't have bodies. Now, Hebrews 1 tells us that if God decides to, he can give an angel a body to come to earth. When they show up on earth, angels have bodies, but otherwise, they're spirits. So they don't have pain. They don't have death. Okay? Uh, they, don't, they can't sin. Now, at one point, they could. But, but most think that their ability and freedom to sin at this point no longer exists. But there's debate about the free will of angels. They have limited knowledge, limited presence. They don't have wings or harps or halos. Now, some have wings. Isaiah 6, the seraphim with Isaiah. Try drawing that picture. I mean, these are magnificent warriors of God who have come to do the bidding of God. This whole, every time a bell rings, an angel gets it. Don't, don't do that. It's not true. I don't mean to ruin it. You can watch the movie. But they're not, they don't, they're not cute little babies playing little harps. These are magnificent warriors who have come to do the bidding of God. And they have all sorts of things that they do in Scripture they give information, they protect guardian angels, 
they provide for, they guide, they care and minister to believers in general. And I'll say, we, we don't exactly know how this works today. This is, these are all things that have happened in the past. But we know this to be true about angels. And so the most amazing passage that I read from my notes in school was, came from Revelation 5, 11 through 12. I'll read it and then uh, we can think about it. It says, John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Just let that picture sit in your mind for a few minutes. How many angels are in Revelation 5 there? Myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. There's no agreement on how much that is. One commentator said millions. Some said hundreds of thousands. Some said hundreds of millions. We'll just settle with, there's a lot of angels in this picture. And what are they doing? These angels, and the angels in Luke 2, they are worshiping God. They were made to worship and to proclaim the goodness and the greatness and the wisdom and the power of God. And we look to Luke chapter 2, what are they doing? They are praising God, singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Which by the way, I should have said, this is what the song is saying. Gloria in excelsis Deo is Latin for exactly what the angels say. Glory to God in the highest. That is the message of the angels who were singing and rejoicing before the shepherds that Christmas night. And so we have to ask, what does that mean? You ask it every time you sing the song. What are these words that I'm saying? Glory, now you know. Glory to God on the highest. But we have to still ask the question, what does that even mean? Well, here's what it means. It means to declare. By saying glory to God on the highest, you are declaring that God on high is infinitely, immeasurably, unfathomably greater and more beautiful and more powerful and more valuable and more wise and more strong and more just and more righteous than anything else there is. That's the picture of glory. God is so much greater in every way. And we will proclaim this. That's what to see, this is what singing is. We are proclaiming with our voices, declaring God on high is, is endlessly better than anything else. Glory to God on the highest. That we're, we're saying that. There is no comparison to him. And so here's, here's what we're seeing in Luke in Luke chapter 2, why, why are the shepherds singing? 
Why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? I'll tell you why. It's pretty simple. If these innumerable, great, magnificent spirits, these angels, if they feel compelled to rejoice by saying glory to God in the highest, how much more, how much more should these lowly shepherds do the same thing? If angels are humbled to the point that they're going to say these words, glory to God on the highest, how much more should we belt out all 16 notes of Gloria every single time? Because if the angels do it, and they're as great and as magnificent as they are, how much more should we? So why did the shepherds sing? Why were they joyfully proclaiming all the way home? Well, they saw the angels sing. They saw the angels sing. And if the angels are going to sing, what should we do? We should sing. And in fact, we should sing louder than the angels. We, we have more reason to say glory to God on the highest. Angels are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are redeemed by the death of Jesus. We have reason to sing louder than the angels. And so for us, we should be singing this song. And I'm not saying just literally singing this song, but this should be, this should be the focus of every breath of every day of every moment for you and for me to say glory to God on the highest. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are greater. And I proclaim it for everyone to hear for all that you are for me in this baby Jesus. And so this is what the shepherds do. And here's the heart of it, though. Why are they singing? Yeah, they are lowly shepherds. Yeah, we are singing because this most magnificent introduction with these angels have caused us to sing. But really, the heart of why they're singing is God has come here. He is here with us. Verse 15 and 16, one more time. When the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let us Go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God, who is most high, higher than the angels, doesn't even compare with the angels, infinitely greater than even the angels, has come from as high as he is. He has come to as low as we are. This is why we sing. He has come to us. He is here now. He has come as low as he possibly can come. Born as a baby without any care. I mean, just in the worst possible circumstances. And he's going to live a life of just complete lowliness. Just serving people. Being run over by people persecuted, and he died a lowly death, naked on a cross in front of a big group of people. 
And so this is why the shepherds think. The shepherds knew what they were doing. Right? We will sing what the angels were singing. If the angels feel the need to say glory to God on the highest, how much more than us? And so for you and for me, we join, we join the shepherds. We're lowly like the shepherds, all of us. And so we sing this song, we sing with the shepherds. And we say it, all 16 notes, however it sounds, glory to God on the highest. We are low and he is at the highest and he has come and he has come to save us. May this truth, this is the gospel, may this truth just sit in your mind as you sing this song. And as you wake up tomorrow and you go about your weeks and we, the hustle and the bustle of the next two weeks, may you remember he is worthy. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy and we give you glory. You have all the glory already. We can't give it to you because you are greater than anything we can ever imagine. But God, we proclaim and declare, and now we're about to sing of that glory that, that has been revealed to us. God, I pray that your grace to us would overwhelm us. Overwhelm us to the point that every moment that we have, God, we would see as a gift and an opportunity to tell others about this most magnificent glory, just like the shepherds do, telling everyone around them, God, I pray that as we are overwhelmed and become aware of your great glory, that it would cause us to do the same. But now, God, we sing this song, you are worthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray.